Hello and welcome to this episode of the Things That Matter Most podcast, where we dissect practical and spiritual and cultural issues using Jesus's message as our starting point. And my goal is that you find yourself encouraged, challenged, and equipped to live more like Christ every day. My name is Pastor Isaac, and I have the privilege of hosting this podcast. And this week, I have the privilege of introducing to you John O'Neill, who will be leading the message today. Um, This is actually a message taken from our youth gathering, where we are working through week two of our new series, How Do You Know? And the question that's going to be addressed today is, how do you know? that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Now, this is crafted for students in mind. However, I believe that it can be helpful to every single one of us as we listen to the scripture that he shares and the advice that he points out. And so without further ado, I do want to jump into this message titled, How Do You Know Jesus is the Only Way to Heaven? With y'all, my wife likes to shop online probably like one of her top three hobbies. Number one being shopping online. Number two being shopping on Amazon. Number three being shopping. (laughs) She loves to shop. Um, So she was shopping online the other day and she came across this this great bargain that she couldn't turn down. She was buying a, a few new items of clothing for herself as well as a couple of shirts for the kids. And she got to the point where she was like, oh, I'm so close to getting free shipping. You know, I just got to get one or two more things and get free shipping. And I'm like, how much is shipping? Is it worth the extra few bucks to get free Always. shipping? Yeah, that's what she said. Always. Now, I do not like shopping unless it entails shopping for parts for my truck or shopping for guns. Or things of that nature. But uh, when it comes to shopping for like clothing and things of that nature, forget it. I do not like it at all. So today my wife comes home and there's a couple of packages on the front porch from UPS. And she brings them in and she walks upstairs and she hands me this shirt. Which you look good in? I do. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And she says, here. This was one of the things that I had to get extra so that we could get free shipping. Try it on. Now, more than hating to shop for clothes, I hate trying on clothes. Like, it is yeah. the worst ever. So I put this shirt on, and I'll be honest with you, this shirt does not fit me the way I like at all. And she's like, you, lo- you, you look good in that shirt. You need to wear it. And I was like, all right, I'm going to wear it tonight because here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be in front of all these young people. I'm going to ask them. I'm going to say exactly this. Am I too old to wear this shirt? Yes. No. Yes. See? There was a lot of yeses right off the bat. So now I can go home and I can tell my wife I was absolutely 100% correct. I am too old to wear this shirt. I am too old for a lot of things. Thank you, Heather. See, that was the very audible yes that I heard. So. Anyway, how do I know that I'm too old to wear this shirt? Because I'm in my 40s and I wore American Eagle 20 plus years ago. Okay, that's how I know I'm too old to wear this shirt. 
Yes, but our decade is coming back. It is coming back. <laughs> it is very much back so coming back. Song. You know, it's funny. I look at I look at how my son dresses every day to go to school, and I'm like, man, I wore the exact same thing in high school. For real. History repeats itself. It does. It does. Um, speaking of history repeating itself. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. We're not going to get into an in-depth history lesson. We did that last week in middle school. I actually flashed some pictures of some iconic figures, and we discussed whether they were real or fictional. It's very interesting. But we're on week two of the How Do You Know series. How do you know? And this is designed to ask some questions that we oftentimes, as Christians, get asked ourselves And we want to make sure all of you understand this and are prepared and know how to answer these questions when people bring them to you. Last week, we talked about how do you know that the gospel is reliable, right? And we went through several different ways of knowing and discussing and understanding that it is reliable. It is, in fact, very reliable. And then on Sunday, Pastor Dave reinforced that yet again. And then this week, we're going to talk about this. How do you know Jesus is the only way to heaven? Now, has anyone ever been asked this question? No one? Ever? Well, I've heard the question a lot in Christian literature, so basically. Now, this is a question that I've had a couple of people ask me this in the past. Maybe not verbatim, is Jesus the only way to heaven? They've said more along the lines of, well, don't you think there's other ways to get to heaven? Don't you think that if I just do enough good things or, you know? What about these other religions? Like, they all say that there's ways to heaven. Here's the raw deal, friends. And we're going to prove this tonight. Jesus is the only way to heaven. And I'm going to show you how we can know that. So I handed everybody, uh, hopefully everybody has one. Um, We're going to go through these fairly quick because we don't have a lot of time. But I I want you all to, to take this to heart. And please, don't just toss these in the trash can on your way out the door tonight. Because this is good stuff. I would encourage you all to maybe even... I know, paper, I know, we're a paperless society. Listen, I had an editable PDF that I was going to just blast out to everybody here with smartphones. That way you guys could just have it right there in front of you. But then I thought, no, because then they'll start playing other things and looking at other things on their phone instead of paying attention. So, that's why I didn't do it that way. Believe me, I am a technology guy. I do not like paper any more than the next person. But I would encourage you, please, hold on to these because there's going to be some really good information here. And I truly believe that one day some of this will become useful to you. So buckle up, we're going to get started. So how do you know that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Well, last week we proved that the gospel is in fact reliable, right? So point number one is scripture supports it. That's how we know Jesus is the only way. There are numerous references throughout scripture that support the fact that Jesus is the only way to heaven. How many of you believe that? Oh, your boy. <laughs> well, that's good. Because, again, we're going to prove it. 
And we're going to start off with this simple fact right here. Jesus is the only man. Not Jesus is the man. He is. But Jesus is the only man. And I want you all to kind of keep that thought in your head as we go through these. Because you'll see over and over and over in some of these verses how this directly applies to Scripture supporting that Jesus is the only way. The first verse we're going to look at is right here. In, uh, well, it's two verses, actually. But 1 Peter 2.4, he was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And then in Philippians 2.9, God elevated him to the highest place of honor and gave him a name above all other names. So he... Just stop and think about this for a minute, okay? This is Peter writing this. This is Paul writing this. And they're both talking directly about Jesus. Now, Peter lived right next to Jesus. Like, he was side by side with him for several years. And he's saying very very bluntly, rejected by the people. He witnessed that. He saw Jesus being rejected by people as he taught. But he was chosen by God for great honor. Those are some pretty powerful words, aren't they? And then Paul is talking about, again, that place of honor, a name above all other names, elevated to the highest place of honor. Those are some pretty strong words. So what is Scripture telling us here? It's telling us that Jesus is the only man chosen by God and exalted by God. Because again, keep in mind, Jesus was human. He came down and lived in the flesh and blood. So he was the only man that was chosen by God and exalted by God. There were other people that were chosen by God. There's no doubt about it. There were leaders in the Old Testament that were chosen by God. But they were not exalted. They were not placed into the highest seat of honor and given a name above all of their names. Only Jesus holds both those titles. Let's take a look at the next verse. John 3.13, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one man who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Again, we're talking about Human, flesh and bone, lived on earth among people, came from heaven, and was gone into heaven. You see, Jesus was the only man. Go ahead. Who came from heaven and returned to heaven. Now, there's lots of other people that have gone to heaven, but they didn't come from heaven to begin with. Right? This is divine. This is Jesus, again, being the only one in flesh and blood to have come from heaven and then return to heaven. Not enough for you? Don't worry, I got more verses. Check this one out. The high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same trials we do, yet he did not sin. You think there's something you've struggled with that Jesus never felt when he was here on earth? I doubt it. I doubt it. Struggling with anxiety? I bet Jesus felt anxiety. 
I mean, he knew what lie ahead of him for his crucifixion. You think that wouldn't cause some anxiety? You struggle with depression? I guarantee Jesus felt depression at one point. When everyone turned his back, their backs on him and he was left alone. That's a moment of depression right there. Especially when you're doing it for everyone else in the world. Not because you did anything wrong, but you're doing it for the wrong things everyone else did. You're struggling with pain, grief, sorrow. Yeah, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. Jesus went through the same things that we go through on a day-to-day basis. The same temptations that we all face. Let's be honest, some of them are hard to overcome. That's why we have the plan of forgiveness, because we're going to screw up, we're going to sin, we're going to succumb to the temptation. But you know what? Jesus didn't. He was the only man to live a perfect human life. The only man to live a perfect human life. All those temptations, he never sinned. All right, that's three. Is that enough? No, it's not. We have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of the world. Think about that for a minute. Not just the sins that we individually commit, but the sins of everyone in the world. How many people are alive in the world today? Seven. Go ahead, Pamela. Um, seven, is it 70 or 7 billion? Close 7 or 70, I don't know. It's a billion. 8 billion. 8 billion. Eight billion. What did you say? 7.2. 7.2? Did you Google it? Yeah. Here's a lot, right? Whatever that number is, I didn't look this up. This is just kind of something I thought of just now. I didn't look it up, but it's a lot. I mean, look around this room. Do you think there's quite a few people in this room? No, Right? Think about all of the sins of everyone in this room. What is it? 7.753 billion. 7.753 billion. That's a lot of people. Jesus took on the sins of the entire world because he was the only one pure enough to be the sacrifice for sin. Jesus lived a perfect life, and because of that, he was the only man that was pure enough to be the sacrifice for sin. Let's take one more look. The Son also became flesh and blood, for only as a human could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of death. Only in this way... Could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying? Again, Jesus was divine. He left that. He came to earth in flesh and blood and lived as a human 
simply for the reason of dying so that we could be free from sin and death. So that we don't have to be afraid of the fear of death. We don't have to be afraid. Jesus did that. See, Jesus was the only man to conquer death forever. Because after he conquered death and rose from the grave, he then ascended into heaven. He conquered death forever. He became human and died so that he could then go and conquer death forever. You can look all through history. You can look at all these other religions. There isn't one other person that can match up to that. Not as a human. It's not possible. So when your friends ask you about other religions, and you say, hey, Jesus was the man. In fact, he was the only man that was chosen by God, exalted by God. He came from heaven and returned to heaven. He lived a perfect human life so that he could be pure enough to be the sacrifice for all of our sins. And in doing so, he conquered death forever. That's a pretty impressive resume right there, isn't it? But then your friends say, okay, well, that's what, you know, the Bible says. Great. What else do you have? Okay. There's more. As we proved last week that the Gospels are reliable, we also know that obviously Jesus did live. Even if some people disagree that maybe he wasn't the son of God, he was just a really good teacher. Okay, let's just go with what Jesus taught. Because guess what? Jesus taught it. He taught that he is the only way to heaven. Jesus taught that. So let's take a look at some ways that Jesus taught that. He declares it numerous times in Scripture. Obviously, a lot of this is going to be found in the Gospels because that's the biography of Jesus' life. Right? These were, this was Jesus' life as recorded by those who witnessed it firsthand, inspired by God to write it. And Jesus declares right here, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. I mean, we could just, Jesus could just like mic drop and walk out at that point. Right? I mean, there's nothing more to say this. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What, who's going to argue that with him, right? I mean, what, what would you say to that? If, you're, if your teacher came to you and said, hey, listen... I am the only way you're getting an A in this class. You have to go through me to get that A. Would you believe them? No. Yes. No? Yes. Well, if you didn't, you get the I feel so sorry for teachers today. <laughs> but this is what Jesus is saying to them. There's no other option. 
He told them. He declared it. I have one. Is there not one in between there? Hmm. Well, I was going to say, you should be able to figure that one out, right? The way, the truth, the life. Okay. Obviously, I was in a hurry and didn't, uh, I don't know. I remember this three times. I must have missed that one somehow. <laughs> Moving on. We'll go to the next verse. Not everyone who calls out to me will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. But anyone who hears my teaching and does not obey it is foolish. <laughs> now, it seems kind of harsh there, right? Reread the Gospels. Jesus was a little bit harsh in a lot of his teachings. He wasn't mean. He wasn't rude. He was just very direct. And what he's talking about here is that there are going to be people that say, well, I, I did good things. I went to church. I taught in Sunday school. I sang in the choir. Do they even have choirs anymore? I have a choir. I was a leader of youth ministry. There's a lot of things people can say that they did for the kingdom. But when he talks about here, only those who actually do the will of my father. What's God's will for our lives? Middle school, you should know this. We've talked about it a lot. What's God's will for our lives? Love. Love. That's what we're called to do. Make disciples that make disciples. That's what youth ministry is all about. <laughs> Good answer, though. That's what we're called to do. What is God's will for our lives? To know him. To have a relationship with him. God's will for our lives is that we would accept his gift of salvation. That was the whole reason he put it out there for us. That's all God wanted was for us, man, to be in communion with him. Go back to the Garden of Eden. He created Adam and Eve. He gave them a perfect place to live. He went down and he walked through the garden with them on a daily basis. All God wanted was a relationship with mankind. He created us in his image to glorify him. God's will for our life is to accept his plan of salvation. That's what Jesus is talking about here to these people. He's saying, just because you do good things does not mean you're going to get into heaven. You have to accept the gift of salvation, God's will. And if you listen to me and obey it, that's a wise thing to do. But if you're going to ignore what I'm saying and continue to do your own thing, well, that's just being foolish. And if you read this whole passage here in Matthew 7, that's where he's talking about the wise man who built his house on the rock, right? And when the storms and the trials came through and blew against that house and against that rock, he stood firm because it had a solid foundation. But the foolish man built his house upon the sand. Who here has been to the beach? When the water comes in and what rushes back out, what happens to that sand? It goes with it. 
If you build a house on the sand and a storm comes, what's going to happen? It's going to be gone. Only somebody who is a fool would build their house on sand. That's what Jesus is saying here. Know my father. Have a relationship with him. He is the rock on which you build your life. He is the foundation to build upon. Because then when the storms of life come, you have a solid foundation and you will stand firm. But if you don't, if you're foolish and build on the sand, when life hits you hard, you're going to get knocked down. See, what Jesus is really teaching here is that he is an object of faith. Right? It takes faith to accept the gift of salvation. It takes faith to build our relationship and our foundation in life on God. It takes faith to do that. And Jesus is saying, I am the reason you can have that faith. I am that object of faith. I'm here in person. You can see me. You can touch me. You can smell me. Because he didn't shower much, I'm sure. He was there. He was the object of faith to help those people build that relationship with God. Jesus was teaching these things in the flesh. Some of you might recognize most or some of these verses. As Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. Anybody know what's being talked about here when he says that? I know you know Pamela. I know you know Alyssa. Who else? Jacob and Shocker. Okay, go ahead. Tell me. What's it up? Quickly, quickly, quickly. It's referring to the plague that God sent against the Israelite camp, where he had all the snakes come in by them and get them sick, and then Moses lifted up the bronze pillar. Correct. The bronze snake on a down. Yeah. They were afflicted by snakes. They were dying from these bites. And so Moses made this bronze serpent and he held it up and everybody had to look at that bronze snake. It's all they had to do was look to the bronze snake and they would be healed. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Everyone knows this next verse, I hope. Ready? Let's read it together. For Great job, everyone. I heard like three versions of That's okay. Three versions. The message is still the same. God loved us so much, he gave the only son that he had to become man, to be put to death, so that we could just believe in that and have eternal life. Jesus was lifted up on that cross just like the bronze serpent. And all we have to do is look to him, accept that, and we can have eternal life. What Jesus was teaching here is that he is a promise of everlasting life. Jesus is a promise of everlasting life. Not enough for you? Good, because I've got more. Like Ronco. But wait. 
There's more. <laughs> Nobody knows Bronco. Absolutely. I made my kids watch Bronco. I don't know what that is. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Those who come through me will be saved. Now again, the analogy of sheep and the shepherd and the sheepfold and the gate. Do you know why sheep were used as an analogy so much in the Bible? Because they were vulnerable. Hmm? They were vulnerable. They were vulnerable. They follow. They follow. They're dumb. They're dumb. Actually, sheep are smarter than you. Yeah, they're dumb. No, sheep are dumb. No. Listen, I have an uncle, well, he passed away a few years back, but I had an uncle that um, he grew up, he's a Frenchman, he grew up in France, and in, in his era, when you got into like seventh or eighth grade, you had an option. You could continue on with school through like grade 10, or you could go out into the countryside and get a job as a shepherd and be done with school. Now, my uncle chose the shepherd life. I used to love to hear his stories about being a shepherd. He used to show us, he showed us pictures many, many times, and he had a ridiculous beard and wild and crazy hair, and he told us stories about how some of the villagers were scared of him and his friends because they would come out to the river to have a nice little weekend picnic by the river, and there they'd all be naked with their clothes, flailing them against rocks, so they were washing them in the river, wild hair flying, and I mean, they were like 18, 19 years old at this time when this is going on, right? But the one thing, the one story that my uncle used to tell all the time that I remember the most was he used to talk about how dumb sheep were. He would tell us this story. And he, true, true, as true as what you see depicted in the Bible, these sheepfolds were big stone walls about three or four feet high so that the sheep couldn't jump over them easily. And there was only one gate. And when all the sheep were in, they would close and lock the gate and the shepherd would sleep up against the gate. Because then if a sheep tried to get out or something tried to get in, they were the first thing greeted. And I said, did the sheep really try to get out? And he was like, sheep were dumb. They'd get their heads through, bah, bah, bah. And they'd get their heads stuck. And he'd be woken up. And he'd have to push their heads back through. And they'd turn around, they'd shove it back through again. He said, sheep were dumb. Jesus is the gate. He is what keeps us in the sheepfold and protects us. Don't be a dumb sheep and try to shove your head through. Okay? So I think we can all figure out what the next one is, right? Jesus declares that he is the gate for the sheep. He is what enables us to go out to the green pastures or back into the strength and security and safetyness of the sheepfold. Right? God is our shepherd. God directs us and guides us just like the shepherd does. But that gate, that gate is what allows us to interact with the shepherd, but also to help protect us from our own stupidity. 
Jesus is our gate. Okay, let's look at one more. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Again, this is Jesus standing in front of people and loudly declaring this. Now, at this particular time, he is talking to his good friend Martha, who's very upset because her brother Lazarus has passed away. And after he says this to Martha, he says, Martha, do you believe in me? You know what she said? She said, yeah, I do. And then you know what Jesus did? He called Lazarus to come forth. A dead Lazarus came up from the dead and walked out. That's the kind of power that our God has. See, when he was saying that if you believe in him, that you'll live even after dying, he doesn't mean that we're all going to get called back from the grave like Lazarus. But he is talking about eternal life that we can have. Again, I think we can all kind of figure this out, right? Jesus declared that he is the resurrection and the life. He is what will enable us to continue living and praising God forever and ever. I don't know about y'all, but that sounds pretty good to me. Living with no more pain. I, I tell you what, that is one of the things I look forward to the most in heaven. Honestly, I mean, we talked about it earlier. I'm old, right? Like I wake up every morning in pain. I go to bed every night in pain. A lot of it's because of I was a dumb sheep and didn't stay inside the gate. <laughs> Did a lot of stupid things over the years and injured myself. So a lot of it's brought on by my own stupidity. But man, it would be great to live in no pain. It would be great to live with no anxiety. It will be great to live without grief or sorrow. And we're going to get to do that forever. Man, that's going to be an awesome day. So Jesus declared, he said, you know, not only am I the man, but I'm going to teach you a few things about myself. All reasons to believe that he is the only way to heaven. So you say, okay, great. So scripture supports it. Jesus taught it. Isn't there anything like beyond just like the Bible and Jesus? Because it's kind of like, you know, using his own words to support what he wants you to believe. I hear you. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about apostles preached it. And we're not going to take time to look at every single one, but we're going to, I picked out three that I want to really point out to you, and here's why. First of all, we're going to talk about Peter, John, and Paul. Now, the reason I think these three are very important is Peter and John both lived with Jesus. They interacted with him on a daily basis. And it doesn't matter where you go, even to the unchurched person, 
even to the non-saved person, they most of the time will not disagree that the apostles, Peter, John, and Paul, truly did live. Almost everyone agrees that they, yeah, those, those people lived. They existed. Okay, great. Let's look at what they had to say about them. Peter was standing before the Sanhedrin. He was in front of the Sanhedrin council, and he is speaking directly to them. The Sanhedrins, right? These are the ones that wanted to stop the Christians. And Peter is standing in front of them, and here's what he has to say. I love this. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Boom. Now, if they didn't dislike Peter before, I'm sure they did after he said this to them. There is salvation in no one else. No one else. There's no other name that God gave us. He gave us Jesus. He said Jesus is the way to salvation. He stood in front of the Sanhedrin council and said that to their faces. That's pretty bold, isn't it? For a man that ran away and said, you know, I don't know who Jesus is during the crucifixion. He then turns around and steps up and says, yeah, I do know who Jesus is. He is the only way to heaven. Gotta get on board. What about John? Salvation is only through Jesus. That's what Pete, that was Peter's message. Then John was writing to the church. Now he was writing, John was not writing to just a specific church. Many of Paul's letters were to individual specific churches. John here is writing to the church as a whole. This is what he said. I'm writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. Your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. This is how he's addressing the entire church. He's reminding them there is forgiveness of sin through Jesus. So Peter says salvation is only through Jesus. John says forgiveness of sin is through Jesus. Let's go over the trifecta. What did Paul have to say? Paul was writing actually to the Romans. And he said, Since we were reconciled with God through the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our relationship with God because of the reconciliation we received through Jesus Christ. Paul is reminding them that, hey, even when we were unsaved, when we were God's enemies, and I can't help but think he's kind of thinking of his own life at that moment, right? Because we all know the story of Paul. We just studied it a few weeks ago. Originally he was Saul, and he was going around and doing what? Persecuting Christians, putting them in jail, killing them, right? He was absolutely 100% an enemy of God at that time. And even during that time, he was reconciled to God because of what Jesus had done on the cross. All of us, at one point in our lives, were enemies of God. And even at that point in our lives, we were reconciled to God because of what Jesus did on the cross. See, Paul's message 
is that we are reconciled to God through Jesus. So here you got Peter, salvation through Jesus. John, forgiveness through Jesus. Paul, reconciliation through Jesus. These are all men that lived and existed. And let me ask you all the question. What did they have to gain by lying? Did they have anything at all to gain by lying about this? No, because here's how their lives ended. Peter, crucified upside down. Paul, or John, was banished to die in exile. He got banished to the island of Patmos and left there alone. Go die out there. Paul, beheaded in Rome. Do you think they gained anything if they were lying? No. These men stood and boldly declared these things. They preached these things because they knew it to be the truth. So the question then is, how do you know Jesus is the only way to heaven? My question is, how do you not know? Right? Because as we saw... Scripture supports it. Jesus taught it. Apostles preached it. Jesus is the only way. Friend, if you are here tonight and you don't know about that way, let's talk. Because as we continue going forward in this series of how do you know, it's going to become more and more apparent that salvation in Jesus is the way to live. And having a relationship with God that makes life so much better. It won't always be easier. It'll be better, though. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here together tonight to just dig into your word and to learn more about you and to understand how true and how real you are and how your plan of salvation is just awesome. What you did for us, sending your son, what Jesus endured and suffered for us sinners God it's just it's, it's mind blowing I think sometimes we take it for granted we don't always stop and think about what what he went through the pain and the suffering I, I just ask that we be reminded of that. And that we walk out here tonight knowing that the only way to heaven truly is through Jesus. Because of what he came and what he did for us. God, if there's someone here tonight that doesn't know you in that way, doesn't know that plan of salvation, that they don't know for sure that if they were to die, that they would be going to heaven. Lord, I pray that you would just stir in their hearts tonight and they would seek someone out now. There's no better time. It's not worth waiting. It's not putting off 
just thank you that we have this church that we can be here together that we can have fun and that we can learn more about you and continue to grow in our relationship with you and taking those next steps God please give everyone safety as they travel home tonight we look forward to seeing everyone again soon we love you, we praise you we praise your name, amen hey thank you all so much for being here tonight Well, I absolutely love all of the scripture that John shared and how he emphasized to us that all of these things point towards Jesus being the only way and that we can have a security in that so that we know no matter what happens, we're secure. We really are secure when we are followers of Jesus because at the end of the day, uh, no matter what happens, we'll be with him forever and forever. And so until we're together again, I want to say thank you for joining in on this episode of the Things That Matter Most podcast.